Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. Welcome, everybody. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, Welcome to our end-of-the-year Christmas service in four days. Uh, we will be celebrating. Some of you will be getting together with family and friends. Some of you are like, yeah, awesome. We're going to see family. And some of you are like, pray for us. Uh, depends on kind of where you're coming. But for me, Christmas has always been kind of uh, associated with warm family uh, feelings. We always wore these like little hats around our house. We like it very festive, put the stockings out, the whole thing. And in fact, we celebrate kind of like on Christmas Eve. That was a big deal for us. Uh, we kind of, my mom would cook and clean all day, make that. And then around six o'clock, we'd light candles and like light the tree. And uh, my father would play a little bit on the piano. We'd sing like Christmas cat and stuff. I know it's like a little leave it to beaver kind of childhood. And, um, and what I remember most though is playing underneath our Christmas tree with this little nativity set. Do you guys have a nativity set? How many of you have a, uh, have a nativity? I don't know if you can see this up here, but we had this little nativity set. Now this is ours now, but we had an even smaller one when I was a kid and I used to love playing. It had all the principles, you know, like there's, you know, Joseph and his staff and Mary and, and, and the child and, and the camels and everything. And I used to play with these. Sometimes I, you know, have them kind of do battle, you know, kind of together and and, uh, but it was amazing time because, um, you know, it was always a very kind of like quiet Christmas Eve. My mom would play the music, you know, silent night, holy night, all is what? Calm, all is bright, right? That's kind of the way that the hymns, are, even the ones that we're singing kind of portray Christmas Eve. Like, you know, the cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Isn't that just like babies? Right, very realistic. I remember Christmas Eve of a warm time, but it's funny, as I got older, became less kind of content uh, with, with, with kind of the scene here under the Christmas tree, and around uh, uh, fifth or sixth grade it probably was, I started getting into, well, this was my deal for Christmas, Star Wars, okay? It still is like even today, but the cosmic battle between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, like that became the thing, and as I got more and more action figures, I did something you can't even imagine. I started taking out Mary and Joseph, whatever, and putting in Darth Vader in there, and like R2-D2, whatever, and so like, actually, (laughs) it literally looked like our our nativity became like the the, the cosmic showdown scene. You know, the the three wise men, you know, we all all know the wise men. I replaced uh, the wise men with um, Yoda, Obi-Wan, and Chewbacca, and you know, so it was like, you know, (laughs) Silent Night kind of thing, and um, and the ultimate sacrilege is when I actually got, I remember doing this and my mom getting so upset. I actually took the little baby Jesus out of the, uh, the manger uh, thing there. You can kind of show this. I, I, we have a little picture of this on the screen and took the little baby Jesus out and placed him with a Jawa. I remember doing that and it like kind of being like, my mom was like, have you no dignity, you know? But this thing, when I look back on Christmas day, it's like as a boy, I wanted to believe there was some drama in the stars unfolding. I wanted to believe that there was this epic battle between good and evil taking place in the heavens like the universe was up for grabs. And it was like the star of Bethlehem, yawn. I I wanted to hear about the death star, you know. But there was something in like my boyhood heart that wanted to believe that when Jesus arrived on the earth 2,000 years ago, there had to be something more going on than what we sing about. You know, there had to be more at stake because whether you're Christian or not, this is the central defining event of human history. I mean, we, do, we, we orient our calendars around it and, and our faith revolves around it. And it's like, was, was there more going on than just from an earthly perspective? I hope so. In many ways, I hope there would be kind of a cosmic 
Christmas uh, story that, that, that I didn't really understand. Well, it was actually only a few years ago that I discovered my boyhood imaginings were much closer to reality than I ever could have imagined. I want to invite you to turn with me in your seat Bible to Revelation chapter 12. And this is a funny place to look for a Christmas passage. Um, as we bring up the light so that you can find page 854, you might be like, wait, why are we going to Revelation? I mean, at Christmas time, people typically go to Matthew, Mark, or Luke to recall the events surrounding Jesus' birth, right? That's where we read, right? That's where the you know Virgin Mary was visited by an angel. She's told, you're bearing the Son of God in, in your womb. They, and she and Joseph, they go to Bethlehem, and they're shut out of the inn. And, and amidst the, you know, the braying of the camels and the, the livestock, Jesus is born, kicking and crying in our world. And, and that itself is a miraculous account. Like the idea that the king of the universe is born into the feeding trough of, of a stable. I mean, quite a welcome for a king. But here's the deal. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're too familiar with the details. Something kind of happens. Sometimes like when you drive by all the nativity scenes you see and all the, you know, the plastic stuff, the cheery, peaceful lyrics and the, and the, and the carols, it becomes cliché. It becomes too familiar and it kind of grows cold for you. And the power of Christmas gets blunted. Well, today I thought we would take a look at Christmas, at the birth of Jesus, from the perspective of God himself. Because the, the birth of Jesus described in Matthew and Luke provides this ground level account. We're all familiar with it. But in Revelation 12, it's like we get the curtain pulled back on time. And we get to view Christmas itself from God's vantage point, the perspective of heaven rather than earth. And here's the deal. What happened that first Christmas 2,000 years ago, it may have been all is calm, all is bright on earth, but in heaven, above the nativity, behind the stars, it was anything but calm and peaceful. See, Revelation says that there was a cosmic drama more befitting a scene from Star Wars unfolding. So let's look at this Revelation 12 together. You can follow along in your Bible. We'll begin at the first verse. Um, you probably noticed this, by the way, it's the last book of the Bible. The, the Apostle John wrote this book at the end of his life. And here's the deal. It's a little bit weird. People like shy away from this last book because it's, it's, it's part of literature called apocalyptic literature. In other words, there's all these weird and kind of amazing symbols and descriptions of end times. Don't freak out, though, okay? Because what John's going to do here is pull back the curtain of the skies for us and give us a glimpse of what's happening when Christ was born on earth 2,000 years ago. This is the other Christmas, okay? So let's read it together. Revelation 12, verse 1, it says this. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, what is this? Like a psychedelic trip? What's going on here? She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. And this is where I was a little boy, I'd be like, awesome. His, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. Verse 5. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now skip to verse 7. This is amazing. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Now they count. Kind of skip to verse 17 because this is the last part in the chapter. It says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments, and who, let's read it together, 
hold to the testimony of Jesus. I'm guessing you've never seen that on a Hallmark card before. Yeah? Um, I, it's weird. It's this very different account than this peaceful, quiet perspective that we sing about in most carols. Because on earth, it's like right over here, the cattle may be lowing, you know, the baby, all is calm, all is bright. But in the invisible world, above the skies, there is a bloody battle being waged in the heavens. See, Revelation pulls back the curtain to reveal there's this invisible struggle between God and the force of good intent on delivering a savior to our world. And Satan and the demonic forces intent on thwarting the delivery of this child at all costs. And this is where it gets weird, weird, but just track with me. I want to break this down for you. If you look at verse 1 here, okay? Again, this is kind of symbolic literature. It says, John sees this woman about to give birth. And the Hebrew readers of this would, would, would have gotten the symbol. I don't want to get into the numerology of it all. But they would have said, oh, she's wearing a crown of 12 stars, which symbolizes the 12 tribes of Israel. And so this, they would have understood this was an allusion to Mary, right? The virgin daughter of Israel who is chosen by God to bear his son, Jesus. And verse two says she's actually, she's pregnant. She's crying out in pain. So she's on the verge of delivery. But then in verse three, it says another sign appears in the heaven. Throw this up here. And this is much more sinister because this is so weird, right? A red dragon, seven heads, 10 horns. And you're like, weird. Uh, in Hebrew literature, 10 was the perfect number. But in, in apocalyptic literature, 10 is used exclusively for the enemies of God. This is like, you got to be aware of stuff when you look in Revelation. That's why people avoid it. But the dragon, it refers here to, to Satan, it says, who stands in front of the woman so that he might devour her child the moment he's born. Now, this is interesting because that's like weird heavenly perspective. And I don't know where you're at with all that. Some of you are like, I thought this was going to be a Christmas message. Watch this. If you look at the Gospel of Matthew, at this moment when Jesus is born... There is a king over Israel. His name is King, anyone? Herod. And King Herod is threatened by the arrival of, we've heard there's going to be a new king, and I'm very threatened by him. And so he issues an edict, a government command. And he says, all Hebrew babies, all boys under the age of two, what? Kill them. Wholesale slaughter of all Hebrew children. This is historical record. So in other words, when it says the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour the child the moment he was born, this is a prophetic reference to King Herod, historically, literally, trying to snuff out Christ's arrival. So on earth, we see a mom in anguish, right, trying to bring forth life. But from heaven's perspective, we see dark forces trying at all costs to prevent this. I'm just going to move R2-D2 for a minute. That's distracting to me. <laughs> kind of weird. Uh, verse 5 tells us that the dragon lunges at the Christ child, but it's too late. It says, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, which, by the way, is a reference to the prophet Isaiah, who said, one day God will bring a king of his own who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. And so this little boy is born under the protection of his heavenly father, arrives in a world. And then this amazing line in verse 7, it says, and there was war in heaven. And, and this is the part I would have liked as a boy. I would have got out my Millennium Falcon man, you know, kind of X-Wing fighters. And here's the, deal, here's the deal. The Bible records how the archangel Michael, and if you're into angels, by the way, only two angels ever mentioned in the Bible, Michael, and then the angel who, who gives the news to Mary in Luke 1. His name was anyone? Gabriel. You have these cosmic warriors. When it says heavenly host, host, the Greek word is stratia. It means literally platoon or army. So you have these angels surrounding it in this fierce cosmic conflict. And then in verses 8 and 9, it says, The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. <sighs> All 
is calm, all is bright. Whoa! On earth, that may be our perspective, but from heaven's perspective, it's a different story. We hear the sound of sword on sword, screams and blood, intense spiritual warfare going on. In this cosmic conflict between the forces of good and evil, and yes, the future of the universe does hang in the balance, and suddenly, like, we're startled. Because scripture is taking great pains to remind us that the truest reality of the world around us, even as we go about our shopping or little suburban lives, is that as children of God, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, your future, my future, hanging in the balance on that first Christmas Eve. The despair... Of, a li- of something ending in death and destruction, or the hope of a new kind of life, free for eternity. And all of this pinned on what? The back of a tiny, helpless, baby boy. Fantastic? Yes. Supernatural stakes? Yeah. A battle over a baby. The baby Jesus. Why? What was so important about, about this child? Why did the future of the, the universe hinge on his safe delivery on earth? Probably the best clue can be found in Matthew chapter 1. And if you want to put your finger there in Revelation, just flip over to Matthew. It's the, so we're, we're bookending this last book in the New Testament, first book, Matthew chapter 1. He describes the original message given to Joseph by the Lord. And, and Gabriel tells Joseph, you're going to call this kid by two names. And these two names for Jesus really tell us uh, the full meaning of this cosmic drama. Read with me. It says, Matthew writes this. He says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. To take Mary home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from, who? The Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him, what's the name? Emmanuel, which means God with us two names for this baby, Jesus and Emmanuel. That's the identity of this child born in that day. Greek is, uh, Jesus is actually the Greek form of Joshua or Yeshua in, in Hebrew, which, which literally translated means God saves. And if Jesus is sent by God to save, it obviously implies that somebody somewhere is in need of rescue. Verse 23 says he's called Emmanuel, which literally does mean God with us. And those names tell us all we need to know about the true significance of Christmas. I was talking with a, a couple who's expecting their first child actually uh, in March. And then I was talking backstage with Pastor Tom. Did you know Pastor Tom's expecting his third baby? They're expecting their third little girl. And he tell, tells me yesterday, contractions are now seven minutes apart for his wife, Erica. So I was like, Christmas baby? And he's like, dude, I'm praying she holds it. <laughs> you know, she's, he's like, but they're, they're, already, they're starting to work through names for her. And they're kicking around these names. Any expecting parents will tell you a baby's name is, is very significant. It could be an excruciating process because there's so much loaded into it. It has to have like the right meaning. It has to capture the essence of that child. It's like, you're kicking around names. And he's like, we're David talking about like Trinity. It's our third girl, you know, kind of thing. Some cases it shows the hope or the purpose of the child's life. Whenever I do a baby dedication here, the parents usually tell me the child's, you know, how, well, she's named after her grandma or we've been struggling to have kids. So we named her hope. She's, she's like the fulfillment of our, our prayers and our hopes. My youngest son, Dell, is named actually after my own earthly father because my, my hope is that my son is going to grow up in the kind of you know, compassionate and faithful man that his grandpa was. So names mean a lot. Well, the name Jesus isn't chosen by, by this guy, by Joseph, 
who is his earthly stepfather, they're handpicked by the baby's heavenly father. And he gives them the name Jesus, God saves. And he gives them the name Emmanuel. And what's significant about these two names is that they capture who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how he came to do it. If you look at him, Jesus, God saves. He's here to save. How's he to save? Emmanuel, God with us. He's come to be with us. In the form of a human child, God moved into our neighborhood, as it were. He came to dwell with us. In theology, if you want the fancy term for it, we call it the incarnation. And you think about that word, incarnation. Some of you who are Spanish, you know what the word carne means in, in, in Spanish, right? Tex-Mex. Uh, chili con carne, what's that mean? Chili with what? Meat. Incarnation. God in the meat. God in the flesh. God with skin on. That's literally what incarnation means. And one can imagine the alarm when those... God saves? How, 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 how is he going to do that? We got humanity, humanity pinned down. God with us. Notice verse 17 of Revelation says that although the dragon missed devouring the Christ child, he settled for an easier target. It says instead he went off to make war against who? Those who obey God's commandments in what? Let's read it together. Hold to the testimony of Jesus. Newsflash, folks, that's us. That's you. That's me. And I'm not trying to freak anybody out or get like all weird. But the, in other words, on that first Christmas, we're now the one in the crosshairs. We're the one. The darkness is out to devour. And the enemy has been having his way with us ever since. I mean, we've seen this year just how broken our world is. Responsible for the disease and decay, genocide in Darfur, tsunami, war, poverty. In our, all is not calm. All is not bright. There is a lot of darkness in our world. It's what the Bible calls sin. It, it, that's literally the, the theological difference. The systemic brokenness that we see in the world around us. We see it on an institutional level. We see it on a personal level, right? The sins that made our own lives. Selfishness, greed. You've seen this on Wall Street, right? Just kind of like, how could guys do that? In good faith, they knew. The ego, the arrogance. Unfaithfulness, infidelity. So, so, so brokenness, sin, is systemic in our world, but it's also personal in our lives, right? The jealousy, the greed, the lust, all the stuff that keeps us alienated from God and those around us. Scripture is like that brokenness is, is, is holding the world hostage, and it appears like well, there's no hope. And I'm not trying to paint too dark a picture, but it's like scripture's like, this is reality. Last night, I'm standing in the middle of like Bed Bath & Beyond with all this crap, you know, like <laughs> in the checkout line. Like spiritual warfare, I'm just here to get my stuff. You know, and it's just kind of like, I get that. It's hard. The Bible says though, the larger story is that you and I are on the front lines of a fierce spiritual battle, responsible for most of the pain and the brokenness we see in the world around us. So there are two parallel world, worlds here, folks. The one we see here and the invisible one, that is God's reality. Yeah, we are people in need of a rescue. And, 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 and this is where it gets good. Because just as the darkness is having its way on this earth with each man and woman born into captivity, our creator speaks. He says, Jesus, I will save them. Why? There's a rescue plan, but have it. Emmanuel. I will go to be with them. Why? Why, would, why would you do it? Because I love them. Because they are my children. And because they can't ascend to me, I will go down to them. Four words. God is with us. This earth if our lives are indeed as broken as the world describes, 
held hostage, as it were, to the evil, then the birth of Jesus that we celebrate on Thursday is nothing less than the moment of God's cosmic counter-assault on the enemy of our souls. Author Philip Yancey writes this. He says, In daily life, two parallel histories occur simultaneously, one on earth and one in heaven. Revelation, however, views them together, allowing a quick look behind the scenes at the cosmic impact of what happens on earth. On earth, a baby was born, a king got weaned of it, and a chase ensued. In heaven, the great invasion had begun, a daring raid by the ruler of the forces of good into the universe's seat of evil. Merry Christmas. (laughs) In many ways, in four days, we are celebrating D-Day spiritually. (laughs) The great invasion, a daring raid by the king of the universe into the universe's seat of evil. God had a rescue plan. And the plan was quite simple. Emmanuel, four words. God is with us. What difference do those four words make to our everyday lives? It makes all the difference. Christmas. It means many different things to many different people. But if you condense the many meanings of Christmas down to just one simple truth... You'll always end up with four words. Over and over and over again. Four words. God is with us. The holy God of Israel, wrapped warmly in humanity, is crying real tears in a real city with real parents who are trying their best to take it all in. God is with us. He's on our planet, on our countryside, in our manger. Emmanuel. The very name the angel speaks is now given to Jesus because God is with us. Fast forward 2,000 years. The four words that changed history can now change us. Those four words are the only words that can bring meaning to the deepest places of our hearts. For the woman whose husband walked out on her and who continually struggles to pick up the pieces, For the elderly couple who can no longer care independently for themselves and who must now rely on the care of others. For the man who watches as all of his friends get married off and who painfully wonders if there's any woman out there who will ever take an interest in him. For the person who is seeking truth and looking hard at Jesus as a possibility. You are not alone. You never have been, and you never will be. Because God in Christ wrapped himself in human flesh, stepped out of eternity and into time, and chose a cave in Bethlehem to communicate one simple, abiding truth. God is with us. And those four words have the power and the beauty to change every waking moment. I don't know what kind of year you've had in 2008, but God is with you. You have never been alone, and you will never be alone. Because what we celebrate in four days on Christmas is that God has literally moved heaven and earth to be with you. He sent Jesus to save you in a most improbable way. Why? Because he loves you. Be, beyond human explanation, explanation, even in your brokenness, 
even in our worst failure, even in the worst pain that we've had sinned against us, in our broke down state, God doesn't care where we've been or what we've done. In sending Jesus, he has come to be with us and rescue us and redeem us and give us a second chance at a new life. This isn't as good as it gets. How? Through the life of his child. See, our rescue costs God everything because this baby was born to die in our place so that we could have a new life. It's hard to imagine as a parent. I mean, you, you, you just don't do that. You don't envision your child's death. You, it's just the opposite. You imagine them growing. And on that night in the nativity, I imagine Mary, you know, the new mom, looking into, you ever look in a newborn's face, it's wrinkled and it's all red. To me, I love looking at the hands of newborns. I love that. I love seeing the tiny little hands, the little fingerprints, the nail beds and everything. And, and it just, it gets me, it like undoes me. And I imagine her crying for joy at her newborn son's hands on earth, while in heaven, Jesus' father also crying, weeping, as he looks at those hands because he knows 33 years later they will be pierced. Counting his son's steps from the cradle to the cross, he'd hang on in our place. Christmas, the incarnation, the birth of Jesus is God's very personal gift to a broken world, to you, to me. And it's about one thing, love beyond all means. That is the significance of the cosmic Christmas scene because it's love of a father, not just for his only son, but for all of his children, for you and for me. You're the face that launched the armies of heaven. Think of that. On Christmas, it's not all is calm, all is bright. It's D-Day. God will not leave you alone in your brokenness in your failure, because he loves you too much, and you are not alone, and you will never be alone. Emmanuel, God is with you. This child was given as a sacrifice in our place, so that actually the brokenness that we see, the sin, the death, it might be destroyed forever. It's incredibly hopeful. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it explains this child, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, this tiny infant, that's why he had to be born of a virgin, impregnated with the Holy Spirit, because he, he was sinless. And he took on our sin. And if we simply acknowledge our need of a Savior, Yeshua, God saves, we're given new life. His righteousness is given to us. And we are given a new life that can actually be put together by God in spite of our sin. Love even bigger than that. When Christ died... Darkness got its way for a moment, but Jesus took sin and death and destruction down with him forever. In 33 years and three days later, another cosmic earthquake happened in the spiritual realm. It's called Easter. And it is, that's another holiday, but it gives the promise of new life now to anyone who wants it. Now on earth and forever in heaven with Christ. Who gets the gift? Whoever's humble enough to put their faith in a tiny child as God's gift to a broken world. We, again, I don't know what kind of year you've had or what your hopes are for 2009. We all still feel the effects of living as broken people in a broken world. There's divorce, there's relationship smash up, there's loss, there's we all experience that stuff. But because of Christ, you never have to be alone again. We can be with him now on earth and forever in heaven because of four words, God 
is with us. Can we say this together? God is with us. He's with me. This week, as you celebrate Christmas, you're going to do it today. You're going to, you're going to drive past the nativity scenes. You're going to see the, the cards on your refrigerator and all is calm and bright. Don't lose sight of the fierce battle, the, the blood that was literally shed for your freedom. All that was unseen in the skies above it. This was a gift for you. This is our God of love. This is the savior of our souls. And he will not rest until he has you back in his family and he has made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. That is his perfect gift to a broken world. And that's what we celebrate, a cosmic Christmas. I was thinking about it this week and I was like, it's incredible hope and dignity. Because if God would fight such a battle as the one described in Revelation 12 to save you, You must really think you're worth the effort. Think about that. You were in his eye when he sent his son squirming in the manger because he came, you can be his child too. A son of God, a daughter of God, forgiven, not perfect, forgiven, filled by his spirit in in his family for eternity. And all you have to do is say two words, I believe. My question is, at Christmas, have you done that? A lot of people ask, well, how do do you become a, a Christian? I don't think I have a perfect life. I don't think I can measure up. You can That's why he came. (laughs) All you have to say is, I believe, I need, I need a savior and I believe Jesus is God's gift to me. When you say, I believe, you're saying, I put my trust in his birth, that he died for me and that he was raised in the light to give me new life. And that would be an amazing gift to receive this Christmas. A life-changing relationship with God. Let's take a moment, just bow our heads and pray. If you haven't done that, you want to receive God's gift. Maybe you've put that off. Maybe you've been searching a while. You've been through a thousand Christmases, but this one is different. You never heard it this way, and that's, that's God now in your, tugging in your heart, talking to you. Maybe this Christmas is the one you bow for the first time and say, Jesus, I believe. Would you, you get a chance to pray that with me right now? If that's your heart, you just simply pray in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. You can simply say it right after me. You can say, Jesus, I believe you are God's gift to me. Thank you. Thank you for coming to this earth for me. Thank you for dying for me. Forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. I want you in my life. This is your moment. I receive your gift of salvation. I don't want to be alone again. If that's you, just pray that prayer. God knows our hearts. He talks through his spirit. And literally the sincerity of your heart is known only to God. But this is your moment to do that. Father, we thank you for your gift, your perfect gift, your perfect son at Christmas. Thank you for all that Jesus' arrival means to us. And yet, Father, we just confess that we're not fully ready for his coming. We're reluctant to live as if the whole earth were your kingdom and it mattered. We know the story, Lord, the shepherds, the angels, but we don't fully understand what it means. Would you awaken us, Lord, to your spirit? let your son's birth make a difference in our lives. We ask your peace over this Christmas. And we ask you to fill our hearts with the grace that flows from your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. All God's people said, amen.